Amen. Hey, give it up for our worship team as well. Every week leading us into worship. And uh, man, we are glad that you're here this morning. Are you happy to be in the house of God? Man, I walked outside a while ago and I saw a lot of yellow vehicles, okay? Man, but uh, again, we are glad that you're here. If you're a guest today, welcome. We believe that the Lord brought you our way. Uh, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at Church on the Rock. Uh, as you can tell, Pastor John is not here. Him and Miss Linnell are out of town and uh, just want to pray that they get rested and refreshed and uh, we love them. They will be back next weekend because you know what next weekend is? Easter. Guys, y'all should be a little more excited about Easter, Okay. I mean, Jesus saved us, so that's a good deal. But uh, as we come into this week, Pastor Mike Ellis, you know, kind of talked about it. It's the Passion Week, and uh, we're believing next weekend that there's going to be a lot of new people here, people who don't know Christ. They're going to hear the gospel, and they're going to respond. So uh, can we just believe over the next week and pray people that need to be here in? And uh, again, you saw the videos. We want to encourage you to invite your friends, your family, your coworkers who don't have a church, who need God. And I'm telling you, can we just believe that they're going to leave this place next week? saved. Yes, awesome. Well, hey, I'm glad to be here. Good uh, to be speaking with you this weekend, but I love the Bible. We're about to open the Bible, and God's going to speak to us. I think he has a message for us today. Listen, what I love about the Bible is God uh, has something to say right now. The Bible makes sense today. It encourages today. It edifies today. It encourages today. It, it directs today. It helps us today, and uh, it's not dead. You know what I'm saying? You read some books and it's like, uh, you read the Bible and it's new every time we open it. The Bible's inspired by God. So we're going to look at a cool story found in Judges chapter 3, verse 12. And I think God is going to talk to us today. Uh, how many people in here, as you're turning there, have ever been in a bad situation? Yeah, no duh, right? Everybody in here, we've been in a bad situation. The story that we're going to focus on this morning is a time in the history of Israel where they were in a bad situation. But how many people know when there's a bad situation, we serve a God that can always turn things around? And this message is about a turnaround. It's about how God raised up a man and he basically helped Israel be set free. And we're gonna look at some principles kind of thrown into that as well. But as I was reading this several months ago and kind of reading about Israel's condition, I started thinking about my own condition. Uh, you know, you read the Bible sometimes and it's like, I can relate to that. Anybody in here? Oh man, that guy made a terrible decision. I can relate to that. Oh, that happened. I can relate to that. But several years ago, four years ago or so, uh, my wife and I and our little two-month-old baby, we are headed to Dallas to see Whitney's family. And uh, I had this little uh, truck back in the day, and we made it to about Mount Vernon, okay? And my truck kind of starts doing this little, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like not, not hydraulics, you know, but it's like, it's just like, Something's bad about to happen. We go another mile or two, and it dies on the side of the road on I-30. Now, this isn't like August heat, but it's like September, October. It was hot outside. And so we kind of walked up from the truck, and we kind of, you know, kind of sat in the trees for a little bit. And my wife is just looking at me like, you, you got to do something, you know. And, uh, you know, so I started calling some people on the phone. Nobody answered. It was the middle of the week. And uh, finally, I called my brother-in-law. And uh, how, how many people just thank God for brother-in-law sometimes? Man, my brother-in-law, he grabbed a buddy. And, man, they raced to where we were. And we kind of duct taped the truck back together a little bit. 
and uh, we, we kind of limped it on home, never to be drove again because the engine was jacked up. Uh, but anyway, he saved the day, okay? What's worse than being broke down on I-30 is being broke down on I-30 with your wife and your little eight-week-old baby, all right? Like, not a good combination, okay? Not a good combination. But um, listen, as I, I think about that story and what happened to us, I think it's a good illustration that we as Christians, as followers, what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to save the day. How many people know that? Listen, we live in a world where there's so many people that are hurting, that are broke down, that feel confused, that feel depressed, and we are supposed to be kind of like my brother-in-law and help people and serve people and point people towards the person who can deliver them and help them and save them, and his name is Jesus. Check it out. My family was in a bad situation, and my brother-in-law, he stepped in. Guys, this morning, I want us to really have the mindset that God, number one, he wants us to love him. He wants us to follow him, but he also wants us to see people, to love people, and to care about people. Check it out. Every single person in this room, we realize that we're called to follow God. We're called to love God. We're called to serve people. We're called to be a blessing. But if we're to be honest, sometimes in our life, we can make this Christian thing all about us. We can make it all about us. We can make it all about our needs and our wants and God bless me, God help me, God send somebody to help me, send somebody to encourage me, send somebody to bless me. And listen, because God is a good father, he does those things all the time because he cares about us, he loves us. But make no mistake about it, as Christians, we're called to follow him. Christianity is about him. It's about loving him. It's about following him. It's about serving his people. And I think sometimes we can become so inwardly focused that we forget as followers, we have a mission. It's to love Jesus and to serve his people. Uh, I think Jesus summed it up well in Luke chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, where he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as what? Yourself. And check it, when we do these things, we feel fulfilled, we feel satisfied, we feel joy and peace. When we are inwardly focused, sometimes that's when we can become selfish and jealous and we get focused off of mission. But just like me broke down on the side of the road needing help, needing answers, needing somebody to care, we live in a world where people are just like that. There's people around us every single day at work, at home, you know, acquaintances on the job, that people that feel broke down, that feel lost, that feel like nobody cares, that don't have peace. And the good news is, again, we are called to point them to the person that can bring peace, that can bring hope, and can bring joy. And that's Jesus. We are called to be the hands and feet of Christ. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. We are called to be better outside of these walls than we're called to be inside these walls. The church has become really good at being good in these walls and being faithful in these walls, but we need to be great outside the walls. We need to reach people. We need to love people. You know, what's crazy is my wife and I and our little baby, we're stuck on the side of the road for probably two hours. Not one car stopped to check on us. I think it's interesting. You know, of course, we're on I-30. People are going like 100 miles an hour down the road. It's not like we're stuck on Richmond Road or whatever, but, you know, people are busy. People have things going on. This cannot be the church. This cannot be Christians. We cannot see need and then say, you know what? It's not my job. I don't have time. I've got other things going on. We are called to see the need, show the love of Christ, and actually do something, right? We're called not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And um, because that's what Jesus did. 
Jesus didn't just see need. Jesus helped people. Jesus connected with people. Jesus showed mercy. Jesus touched the leper's hand. Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus cared about everyone. And that's the mission that we're called to be, to help people, to love people, even when we have a busy schedule. So today, with the Lord's help, what I think he wants us to do is get closer to him. But importantly, I think he wants us to be more effective followers for Christ. Every person in here, whether you've been serving God for four days or four years or 40 years or your whole life, God wants us to get closer to him. He wants us to be a better follower today than we were yesterday. He wants us to be closer to God tomorrow than we are today. He wants us to be a better witness tomorrow than we are today and better today than we were yesterday. So I'm believing this morning God's going to help us go from glory to glory to glory. He's going to help us. So whatever area of life that you're in, whatever situation you're in, you need to know this, that God loves you. You need to know that God wants to use you and God can use you. Amen? So uh, Judges chapter 3, verse 12, we're going to jump into this story, uh, but first I'm going to pray. Does that sound good? Lord, we love you. We are here because we love you and we care about you. God, we want to be more effective for your kingdom. We want to be better followers of Christ. We want you to use us in in just a better, deeper way. God, we want to use uh, our gifts and our talents for you. So give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and give us a heart of obedience. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. So Judges chapter 3, verse 12, I've got to be honest, this is one of the most amazing stories in the whole Bible, okay? It is, trust me. Uh, Viewer discretion, however, is advised. Judges 3, 12, it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 14, And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up from them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to King Eglon, the king of Moab, and Ehud made for himself a dagger, say dagger, with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes, and he presented the tribute to King Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. It's funny. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a servant, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all of his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand. He took out the dagger from his right thigh and he thrust it into his belly. Verse 24 and 25 talk about how the king died. If you jump down to 26, it says this, Ehud escaped while they delayed and he passed beyond the idols and escaped. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel, they went down with him from the hill country. He was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him. They seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites, and they did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. Last verse, so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and they had rest for 80 years, okay? This story to me is awesome. 
So here we have Israel. And Pastor John talks about it all the time, but kind of the saga of the Old Testament, a lot of, a lot of it is Israel doing this up and down thing. We love God, we serve God, we don't worship idols, and they're blessed. But then things are kind of going good. They start stepping away from God. They start allowing idols to come in. And you know what? They begin to be oppressed and conquered. This is what happens. The Moabites have conquered the Israelites because the Israelites are disobedient. They've been disobedient towards God. So God allows it to happen. What I find interesting is this happened for 18 years the Israelites are enslaved in bondage by the Moabites for 18 years. Uh, you know, I don't know every single person out here this morning, but I can guarantee you we all got a little hard-headedness inside of us, right? I mean, 18 years? Why don't you cry out to God after one year or after two years? How about 10 years? It took them 18 years to figure it out. When they finally repented, God raised up a man. All right, and I'm here to tell you this morning, the good news is if you've been struggling with something, if you have an issue, if you have a trial, call out to God because God can rescue you and he wants to rescue you. So God raises up Ehud. Ehud, basically, he's the guy who they get to bring all of the tribute before the king. This sounds like a terrible job. He has to bring them all of their hard sweat, their tears before the king as the king takes them. Well, God tells Ehud the plan. And so he comes in one day. He says, King, I got a secret to tell you. The king clears the room and he says, come closer. And he says, here's the secret. And he stabs him and he's dead. I love it. And then he basically, he runs away. He escapes. He goes and he blows some trumpets. He gathers the Israelite army, convinces them to go fight. They go fight. They win. The Bible says that they have rest or peace for 80 years. Check it out. That is an amazing story. And uh, throughout this story, like I said, we're going to look at three points to how we can become more effective for Christ. We can become better followers for Christ because I'm telling you, Ehud, he had some characteristics that every single person in here needs to have. And I understand that there's a lot of us in here, we've been serving God for a long time. But maybe God may be wanting to speak to you one or two things in this morning's message. Let's listen to him and let's put to practice what we already believe. Can we do that? Here's the first point today. Effective followers of Christ do what no one else wants to do or will do. If you want to be an effective follower of Christ, if you want to bless God with your life, if you want to bless people with your life, you're going to have to do things that you don't maybe really want to do. We're going to have to do things that God wants us to do. How many people know God sometimes asks us to do things that we don't want to do? God tells me all the time to do stuff I don't want to do, right? Go forgive that person. Go invite that person to church. Go give that person some money. Go send that missionary this. Go to this. And a lot of times my will, my, my flesh doesn't want to do it. But I'm telling you, if you want to be an effective follower for Christ, we do what God wants us to do. I'll be honest, there's a lot of people who love God, but really aren't willing to do what he asked them to do. Ehud was willing to do everything God wanted him to do. Check it out. Israel, they were tired. Everybody is tired of being conquered. They're tired of working really hard and then having to give half of their stuff away. They're tired of this king of Moab taking their stuff. But there was only one person in 18 years who was willing to say, you know what, I'm going to follow God and do something about it. There was only one person that said, I'm going to go in here where all these guards are that could kill me in a split second, and I'm going to do this thing. His name was Ehud. 
God is looking throughout the Bible for people that will simply just say yes to him. Check it out. We all want the glory. We all want the prestige. We all want people to know our name. We all want to be blessed. We all want to be successful. But do we want to do what God wants us to do? I mean, that's the trick. Really quick, I want, us to, I want to point out two things in this story that Ehud does that few people do. Number one is serve. Look at your neighbor and say, serve. If you want to be an effective follower for Christ right now in your life, it all comes back to serving. The reason Ehud is able to be mightily used by God is because he is a servant. He has not a desirable job at all. This was probably the most likely job that everyone did not want to do in Israel. We want you to go before the king, take our silver, take our gold, take our wheat, take our crops, take half of our stuff, and we want you to go give it to this guy. That is not a job you want to do, but Ehud, he did it. He was willing to do it. What's interesting, if you read and study the Bible, you will find several people in the Bible who did amazing things for God, but they ended up doing amazing things for God simply while they were serving God. Think about David for a second, one of my favorite characters. David in the Bible is remembered as being the greatest king of Israel. He's remembered for killing Goliath. Do we even remember why he was put in a position to kill Goliath? He's not even old enough to fight in the army. His dad says, go take some cheese and some crackers down to your brothers. Yes, sir. He goes and he's serving his father. And what happens? He sees Goliath. Nobody wants to fight him. God speaks to him. He slays the giant. He soon becomes the king. Are you following me? You serving will put you in a position to be greatly used by God. Think about Nehemiah, the Old Testament guy. Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer to the king of Babylon. Not the most prestigious job. While he's simply serving, he hears news that the Jerusalem walls have still been destroyed. They've been down for 100 years. It breaks his heart. While he is serving, God speaks to him. You go back. You rebuild the walls. And you know when he gets to Jerusalem 52 days later, he builds a wall. Your serving will put you in a position to be used by God. Joseph, his whole life was serving. He's serving at Potiphar's house. He's serving in the jail. He ultimately serves Pharaoh. His serving put him in a position to be greatly used by God and to set the people of Israel free. Sometimes I think in my life and in our lives, we can overlook serving as a Christian. Sometimes we think oh, it's for somebody else. No, we're all called to serve. You know, when we die, there's one or two things, one of two things that God is going to tell us when we die. What we don't want to hear is, depart from me, I did not know you. But what we do want to hear is what? Well done, good and faithful what? Servant. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't say, well done, good and faithful master. Well done, good and faithful leader. Well done, rich person. Nope. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. The best we can hope to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. God is looking for servants. He's looking for us to serve him, to love him, to honor him, to make him the Lord of our life and to love and help people. Listen to me this morning. If we are not a servant, we're not qualified to go to heaven. Following God, serving God, that's what he's called us to do. Being a servant isn't always a prestigious thing. Can we be honest? Serving in kid zone isn't always prestigious. I know my kids. They're crazy. They're wild. Sometimes you see me leave services because there are deals on the screen, you know, <laughs> or Whitney. Like, it's not always prestigious. The youth group, being a youth leader is not always prestigious. 
Mopping a floor isn't always prestigious. Giving up one of your weeks of vacation to go on the mission field to drill a water well, it's not always prestigious. It's more fun to go to the Bahamas. But God has called us to be a Christian. We're called to be different. We're called to serve. We're called to follow. We're called to disciple. We're called to give. We're called to evangelize because that's what Jesus did. Here's the second thing that Ehud does that we need to do and that few people do is he overcame serious obstacles in his life. The Bible says that Ehud, he was left-handed. You know, sometimes I read the Bible and, and I can just jump over phrases and details, but every word of God in the Bible is inspired by God. So he's left-handed. This is interesting. If you do a little research, what I believe is the reason it mentions he was left-handed is because I think he had an injury or a disability to his right hand that caused that right hand to be useless. Here's why I think that. Ehud, he's from the tribe of what? Benjamin. Benjamin means son of what? My right hand. Most theologians that are a lot smarter than me, if you have a good Bible commentary, it'll say this, but most scholars would agree that this guy, Ehud, somehow messed up his hand, maybe from birth, maybe older in his life, but he didn't have the use of his right hand. And it makes sense because why would this king, the king of Moab, allow Ehud to come into his presence and, and not have guards around? I think because he wasn't threatened. This guy has a messed up hand. Check it out. If you want to do what God has called you to do, if you want to be effective, if you want to reach people, if you want to, your relationship with God to go to the next level, we are going to have to overcome obstacles in our life. Every single person in here, because we live on this earth, because we are a product of a sinful world, we are going to have problems. We are going to have storms. We are going to have obstacles. It's not are we going to have obstacles. It's when are we going to have obstacles and how are we going to deal with them? Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulations, you will have storms, you will have problems, but take heart because I've overcome the world. That's what he says. So if we want to be effective for Christ, we can't allow our obstacles and our situations to keep us down. And I find a lot of us sometimes, instead of just doing what God wants us to do, even though we have a bad circumstance, a lot of times we limit what God wants to do because we, we say, oh, I can't. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough education. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't look the part. I don't have the right last name. I don't have this. I can't do this. The question is not what you don't have. What do we have? What has God given you? Because here's the secret. What God is giving you, God is going to use to bless him and bless people around you. A lot of us in here, we limit what God wants to do. We take our focus off of him because all we focus on is our shortcomings. This guy, Ehud, killed the king of, of Moab with probably without the use of his right hand. God can use every person in here, whatever situation, obstacle you're going through. Throughout the Bible and throughout time, there's been people with obstacles that were still greatly used by God. You think about Moses. Moses, he had a, a stuttering problem. Moses killed somebody. God said, I can still use you. You think about Saul of Tarsus, killed Christians, became Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You think about Joseph, his whole life, basically, he's a servant. God said, it doesn't matter, I can still use you. He saved the Israelite people, not just people in the Bible. You think about people in history, you think about Homer, the great uh, writer who wrote uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. He was blind. You think about Beethoven, he wrote his famous Fifth Symphony uh, when he couldn't even hear. You think about Einstein, the great scientist, you know, he had a learning disorder. 
He couldn't talk till he was three. He couldn't, he couldn't read until he was eight. Your obstacle can't hold you back. The only thing that can hold us back is our lack of faith in what God can do through our obstacle. God wants to use you where you're at. And just because, listen, just because we're not good at something doesn't mean we're not good enough. Just because you didn't go to college doesn't mean you can't be successful. Just because you've had your heart broken before doesn't mean you can't have success in marriage. Just because we're in a storm right now still doesn't mean God does not want to use us. Uh, you know, I'm a good example of this. I'm in a storm right now. I'm not going to lie about it. It's not fun to have to do dialysis every single day. It's not fun. But I only have one life to live on the earth. God has called us to do what we're called to do. Listen, every person in this place, either now or sometime in your life or in your past, you will face trials. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants your trial, your storm, your obstacle, your situation to shut you down. The only person that can shut you down is your fear of what the enemy wants to do in your life and your lack of faith in God. God can use you where you're at. Your cancer, your breakup did not catch God off guard. He still wants you to be fruitful. Some of the most fruitful people that I've ever met have had storms and obstacles and mishaps in their life, but God still uses them. The only qualification you need to be used by God is, God, here I am. Here I am. Use me. Who knows? Maybe the obstacle, the disability, the storm in your life will put you in a position to be greatly used by God and kill the king of Moab. God can still use you. So that was the point number one. You want to be an effective follower of Christ. Do the things that God wants you to do. Do the things that no one else is doing. What does God want you to do right now in your life? You specifically, what is God speaking to your heart about? Point number two, effective followers kill stuff. You know, that's pretty theological, right? It's pretty theological. Listen, all our hunters were like, yeah, we like to kill stuff. If you want to impact people for Christ, if you want to live a life where you, your life matters, you have to win some battles. And the good news is you don't have to do it by yourself. God's going to help you. But the reason the Israelites rallied and they beat Moab, they did that because they were following Ehud. If Ehud would have just talked the talk, would they have followed him? They didn't follow Ehud just because he had a, a title in front of his name. They didn't follow him because he looked the part. They didn't follow him because he was good at whatever. They followed him because he won the battle. As a follower of Christ, it's time that we start winning some battles. And again, God is going to help us. God is going to give us grace. No one is called to do this by ourselves. It's our job, though, to say yes. It's our job to say, God, help me. It's our job to do our part. I believe that there are several things that God wants us to kill, but I want to focus on two really fast. Number one is I feel like God wants us to kill sin in our life. God wants us to kill sin. To be an effective follower of Christ, to be the disciple he's called us to be, it's time that we start fighting sin. It's time that we start getting over pride and lust and jealousy and all these things. And God can help us. Because why? God didn't just save us so one day we could have a good life 80 years from the day we got saved. No, God wants to help us today. He wants to set us free today. He wants us to overcome that issue today. And there's a lot of us in here, maybe we've been struggling with one or two particular sins for years. God doesn't want you to live a life like that. He wants you to live a life freed 
I'm telling you, living in freedom and living in bondage is two completely different perspectives. When we live in freedom and we live in peace, your life is better. But not only is our life better, but it's going to point to God in other people's lives. As a church, it's time that we start allowing God to to forgive us of sin. We start allowing him to give us the grace to overcome sin. Because when we do that again, we have a better life. But number two, people see Jesus in our life. I think one of the reasons that the church has been ineffective is because we do the same things that the world does. It's time that we start repenting of our sin, asking God to transform our life, and we walk in freedom. And I'm not here to say you're going to be perfect and you're never going to sin, but I'm telling you, you don't have to struggle with the same habitual sin every day. God can set you free. What a testimony. I used to do drugs, but God set me free. I used to be terrible at marriage, but now I have a happy marriage and a happy family. Now's the time to kill sin. Here's number two, kill distractions that keep us from Jesus. All of you in here, you love God. You care about God. You're here, 11 o'clock. I know you love God. But if we're to be honest, most of us in here, we've allowed some distractions to come in and kind of separate us from our Heavenly Father. We still love God, but our pursuit for God maybe has started to, to back up a little bit. And the way the enemy does things is he does things subtly. And he does things with, with you know, things that aren't necessarily bad. Through TV, through hobbies, through, you know, the computer, through all these social media outlets. What the enemy wants to do is get between you and Jesus. His whole purpose is to get between you and God. That's it. You know, if you think of it like an old movie or something and two people are slow dancing and the person comes in and like taps them on the shoulder and they sneak in, that's what the enemy wants to do. Man, I'll be embarrassing for a second. I can remember in eighth grade, I had this, I had this girlfriend, you know, we've been dating for like two weeks. We were in love. Like she was the one. Okay. I'll just be honest. Like I, I think it, I, I look back now, I'm 33 and I'm like, man, I had girlfriends when I was in fifth and sixth grade. I'm like, what was I doing? You know? Like you talk on the phone for like a week and you're like, oh, we broke up because we didn't like the same show or something. Anyway, but we're at this eighth, eighth grade dance and, uh, you know, you know, eighth grade dances, at least when, when I was in school, like nobody really danced. You got the guys kind of standing over here doing this. You got some girls dancing with themselves and the guys are too cool to dance. And so I did what anybody would do at the eighth grade dance. I went outside with my buddies and we like threw the football around like, See ya, left my date. Well, I come back in and my girl, girl I love, girl I care about, the girl I'm gonna buy her a promise ring, you know. Uh, man, she's slow dancing with one of my best buddies. And I was like, what? So I, I, I did it, I, I saw the movies, I did it. I tapped her on the shoulder, I butted in, I took her back and uh, she broke up with me like an hour later. It was great. <laughs> so, so, so anyways, Feel bad for me. I, you know, I got my heart broke. Anyway, I recovered. I recovered well. So uh, anyways, but that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to come between you and God. That's his whole purpose. He wants to butt in. Did you know that the average American spends three and a half hours a day watching television? Three and a half hours. The average teenager spends upwards of five hours a day on social media outlets. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Check it out. The average Christian spends less than two minutes a day with God. The average Christian. And, and, you know, maybe it's a little bit more, maybe you're a little bit more, but I think it's good to evaluate our life. When we're following Netflix more than we're following Christ, like, we need to evaluate. We all do. 
Now is the time in our life to start killing distractions. And the good news is God is going to help. You don't have to fight by yourself. You don't have to do it alone. It's not your willpower. It's God's power. And God's power has one prerequisite, and it's saying yes to him. That's it. We can do that. Now is the time in our life to start winning victories. Now is the time in our life to start to stop running away from sin and running to sin and start running to forgiveness. Now is the time to get over that thing. We've struggled with it too long. God wants to set you free. Some of us in here, those distractions, we only have one life to live. We have to be deliberate and say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to put it on. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to follow you. Several months ago, I've done this four or five times since Whitney and I've been married. I'd like turn our cable off, our satellite off like every two years. And I'm like, I'm just done. Because I know myself and my relationship with God will go downhill and I'll know more about baseball than anybody. You know what I mean? Like we need to get rid of these things. Today, what is the Lord saying to you? What needs to be killed? Because we're the only ones that can give God permission. Here's the third point. Effective followers put the work in. I like this point. The Bible says that Ehud, he killed the king of Moab. What did he use to kill the king? A dagger. Who made the dagger? Ehud made the dagger. You know, this is complete speculation. I'll say that to begin with. But why would Ehud make the dagger? Well, number one, he had to kill the king, so he needed something to kill the king with. But he comes from a right-handed tribe. He's left-handed. My speculation is they didn't have any left-handed daggers, so he had to go make one. Listen, God told him what he needed to do, but it was his job to follow through. I want you to kill the king of Moab, but you got to go build your own dagger. You have to do your part. God will give you the material, but God is expecting you to put some work in as well. I feel like a lot of times in our life, we, we want to do great things for God. We see other people that have accomplishments and they're successful. And if we're not careful, we can get jealous and we can get very, you know, narrow-minded and we can think it's just their last name. It's just the right time, right place. And maybe that's true in, in some small cases, but what we don't see is the work that went in. We don't see the person that owns all these businesses. We don't see them 30 years before minimum wage sweeping the floors, getting there early, staying late. We see the missionary and they come and, and we celebrate them and we celebrate the thousands of kids a day they're feeding. We didn't see them 20 years before where nobody followed them, nobody supported, and they lived in their car. Two of our biggest missionaries, that's their story. The work, the effort, the dedication, the time that you put into something will determine your trajectory. It will determine where you go. It'll determine how high you fly. There's no shortcuts. We live in a world where we expect like a five-course meal, like for a fast food price made in two minutes. It don't happen. You know, I, I gotta be honest. I'll be vulnerable. I, I got a weakness. I got a bunch of them. Number one, man, it's Whataburger. I love it. I love it. I love it. And if you own Whataburger, just close your ears for what I'm about to say. Y'all take forever to make it. Man. But it's worth it. So I, I just go because I just like it. But I, I can remember being in line. This is several months ago. And I'm talking to Whitney on the phone. It felt like I was waiting like 20 minutes. It was probably really like four or five minutes. I'm just impatient. And I'm telling Whitney, man, this is taking so long. This is terrible. And she's like, why don't you just come home and make your own burger? And I'm like, No. <laughs> like, no, nah, I'm good, you know. <laughs> I can make the burger, but I can't make those fries. Those are good. But ch 
check it out. Like we have to put the time and effort in if we want to see something. If we want something to grow, you got to water it. If you want something to be fruitful, you got to put energy into it. My question to us this morning is this. What are you making right now with your life? We're making something. Again, your dedication, your time, your determination, your effort is going to determine how far you go and how successful you are in every area of your life. Your job. Listen, we're, we're at a job eight, 10 hours a day. What kind of effort are you putting in? I guarantee you, if you're lazy, you show up late, you do a bad job, you will not be promoted. And don't be asking God to bless you when you won't do your part. You can ask him. He's not going to. College. Like, you're in college right now. Are you putting effort in? Are you learning? Are you putting the time in? Our families. Your family can be whatever you want your family to be. What effort, what time, what dedication are you putting into it? Your marriage. We all want a great marriage, but will we put the time and energy into it? Our spiritual life. We all understand, especially with sports, if you want to be great, you got to practice, you got to do this, you got to do that. But some reason with spirituality, we kind of just put it to the side. If you want to be close to God, you have to put time and effort into it. And God will bless you. He'll help you. What you're doing right now, your diligence, your work, work ethic, your faithfulness will determine where you go from here, how much you do for God and how many people you reach for God. God will give us opportunities as we're faithful, but we're called to be faithful and fruitful right now. The problem is every person in here, we have this disease sometimes that we always want to be at the next step. I'm in junior high. I mean, I want to be in high school. I'm in high school, I got to drive. Then I got to graduate. Then I got to go to college. And then I got to get married. And when I'm married, I'll start doing this. But then I got to get in a better career. Then I got to have kids. And it's like we're always looking to the next step. We're in the next step. We have to be fruitful now. And God is going to help us. God is going to direct us. You may say, I'm just a waiter. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I just work at Cooper. I just do this or that. God can use you where you're at if you'll say yes and be faithful. As the band's coming up, you know, today was all about just kind of inwardly looking at ourselves, And in just a moment, we're going to go back into worship. But I believe that God is calling us to follow him. I believe he's calling us to go to another level in our relationship with him. I believe he's calling us to fight sin. I believe he's calling us to, to be deliberate about following God. We talked about three things today. We talked about if you want to be an effective follower, we have to do things that God wants us to do. And sometimes we don't want to do them. We talked about we have to kill sin. We've got to kill distractions. And finally, we talked about we need to build something. What are we building? This next week over the next seven days is the greatest opportunity in 2018 to get people close to Christ. As you know, next week all over the world, people will be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. What I love about Jesus, and it's just a fresh revelation that just came to me, but Jesus, man, he turned, obviously, the world upside down. Time itself changed the way they record time when Jesus stepped on the earth. B.C. to A.D., in the year of our Lord, he changed everything. Not because he was political, not because he was connected, but because he was the son of God. And we get the opportunity over the next seven days to practice what we believe. We get the opportunity to love people, to reach people, to be a witness, to share the gospel. And I'm telling you, we can do it. We can be the people God has called us to be, but it's going to take faith. I want to close with this story. It's a story about a guy named Charles Blondin. He was the greatest, his greatest fame came on September 14th, 
1860 when he became the first person to cross a tightrope stretched 11,000 feet across the mighty Niagara Falls. People from both Canada and America came from miles around to watch this great feat, 25,000 people in fact. He walked across 160 feet above the falls several times, each time with a different daring feat. Once in a sack, on stilts, on a bicycle, in the dark, blindfolded. One time he even carried a stove and cooked an omelet in the middle of the rope. A large crowd gathered and the buzz of the excitement ran along both sides of the riverbank. The crowd oohed and awed as Blondin carefully walked across one dangerous step after the other, pushing a wheelbarrow, holding a sack of potatoes. Then at one point he asked for the participation of a volunteer. Upon reaching the other side, the crowd's applause was louder than the roar of the falls. Blondin suddenly stopped and he addressed his audience. Do you believe that I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? The crowd enthusiastically yelled, yes, you're the greatest tightrope walker in the history of the world. We believe, we believe. Okay, said Blondin, who wants to get into the wheelbarrow? It's pretty good, right? Nobody. Nobody got in. See, it's one thing to say, man, you're a great, you're a great tightrope walker. You're awesome. We trust you. You've been doing all this stuff. It's another thing to say, I have faith to get in. This is what this Christian life and this Christian walk is all about. We read the Bible. We hear Pastor John's messages. We know that God can do whatever he wants to do. We know God can transform us. He can change us. He can give us boldness. He can give us courage. He can help us overcome sin. We know that, but do we really have faith? Faith is an action. Faith isn't just a mindset. Faith is a verb. It has to be acted out. We have the opportunity for our whole life, for this week, to get in that wheelbarrow and say, God, I trust you. Not just in theory, but in practicality. I trust you to do whatever you want to do with my life. And I'm telling you, when we get in, God can do anything. Isn't that awesome? Let's stand on our feet this morning. I want to pray for us. Again, we're so happy that you're here. And again, I, I believe everyone was here for a reason. I want my prayer team to come up now. I'm going to say a prayer for us. But can we agree that this week we're going to follow Christ the best that we know how? He's going to help us. Let's throw our hands up today. God, we love you. We bless you. Lord, we say that there is no one like you. God, today, would you help us be more effective followers for you? God, help us fight sin. Lord, help us follow you. Help us have faith, increase our trust. Lord, help us be deliberate. Lord, I pray things in our life that you've asked us to do that we haven't, we would do today. Lord, I pray that we would uh, just allow you in the grace of God to, to enter into areas of our life that we've been closed off to you. God, would you help us? God, would you help us our, with our families, help us with our marriages, help us at work? God, I pray that your grace would permeate every area of our life. God, help us be followers. Lord, and I pray for a great harvest next weekend that many would come to the saving knowledge of Christ, Lord, because we're faithful. I pray faith over everyone here in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We're about to go back into a worship song like we always do. And if you have any prayer requests for anything at all, we wanna pray with you. But final question is this, you can't follow Christ until you've been saved. And maybe you're in here this morning and, and you're not right with God. You're away from God. The Bible says that there's good news. Even though we've sinned, even though we've messed up, 
The Bible says that God sent Jesus to forgive us of our sins. There's only two requirements to be saved. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. That's it. But Jesus will not do that part for you. We have to do that. We have to repent and we have to believe. So if you're here this morning, you say, today is my day. I don't need to wait for Easter. I want to get right with God today. I want to be saved today. I want you to raise your hand real fast. We want to pray with you. Amen. I see you right there. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up? Two or three people. Amen. Next week, we're going to ask the same question, and we're going to believe that there's going to be dozens and dozens. If you raise your hand, just meet me over here at the cross. We want to pray with you. But again, if you have any prayer needs, we'd love to lift them up in prayer. God bless you. Let's worship God a final moment.